teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. Good morning. Well, welcome to uh, part two. We did the kingdom of God in the Old Testament last week, and this week we're going to do the kingdom of God in the New Testament. So last week, let me give you a, like a one-minute review of last week. So last week we reviewed the whole Old Testament in 30 minutes, this week in one minute. <laughs> so uh, we started off with God uh, creating the world and then creating man and woman in his own image. And so he charged, commissioned man to reign and rule over the creation. And so... Part of the image of God in man is to reign and rule. Uh, so man and woman were the vice regents uh, over the world. They were basically king and queen representing uh, the heavenly king. And then we saw in chapter 315 that uh, Satan wrestled away the kingdom uh, on earth from man. And so the whole biblical story is to... Uh, wrestle back the kingdom of earth, uh, back from Satan. And so Genesis 3.15 was given the Proto-Evangelium, the first gospel. And so the whole Old Testament is going to follow and trace uh, the seed of the woman as he um, is going to um, have conflict with uh, Satan. So what really is important is the restoration of the image of God in man. And so we need somebody to um, not only save us, but to restore that broken relationship uh, that uh, we had in the beginning with, with God. So we continue into the New Testament, and what we see in the New Testament is basically uh, the appearance of the last Adam. Now remember, God in Genesis chapter 6, he basically destroys the earth with the flood and then starts over with one family, uh, uh, Noah and his family. Then, um, again, we see uh, the world in chaos in the Tower of Babel, and instead of destroying the earth, he starts over, he confuses the languages, but starts over with one family, Abraham. And in a sense, they become the new Adam, where God is going to uh, establish his kingdom. And so Abraham uh, and his seed will be that kingdom. And so he's promised uh, a kingdom. Kings would come from him. And so uh, we follow the seed all the way to the line of uh, Judah. And then we see the Davidic covenant. And we see in the Davidic covenant that God would give a son. And it would be not just David's son, but God's son. And so we had the problem with the, the judges' uh, corruption, and then the priests were corrupt, and then the kings were corrupt, and so there was failed leadership. And so God says, I am going to break into human history and provide a son for you, David, and he will keep my law perfectly, and he will reign forever. And so there's the king, the promised king. And so it only takes one person to fulfill Mosaic Covenant. And so uh, Jesus, uh, the, the greater son of David, will be that 
king who will represent us as the final Adam. And so we come to the New Testament and we have the last Adam. So Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness and he follows the same temptations as Adam. But he succeeds where he failed. So uh, Jesus is taken uh, into the wilderness. Um, He's led by the Spirit. And then Satan comes and tempts him. Now, here's the situation with, with Jesus. Um, you know, when, when you and I um, try to uh, overcome temptation, uh, we might last a few minutes <laughs> or uh, a few hours or a few days, uh, but Jesus is tempted for 40 days. And what happens is uh, Jesus is at his weakest point. He takes temptation to the nth degree, uh, to its limits. So Jesus is basically uh, what I consider uh, at the point of death. He's at his weakest moment. Uh, he has not eaten for 40 days. Now he's, he's walking in the desert. He's not just laying down uh, and relaxing in the shade. He's in the desert. He's walking and he's probably going from water source to water source. He, he has to drink. Okay? He doesn't have to eat, but he has to drink. And so uh, Jesus, he does not use his divine prerogatives because God does not get thirsty. God does not get hungry. God does not die. Remember in Matthew, uh, the disciples asked Jesus, uh, when, when will the kingdom come? And Jesus says, uh, this, no one knows, not, not even the angels or the Son of Man, except the Father in heaven. And so Jesus had even laid aside his divine prerogative of omniscience, uh, omnipresence, omnipotence. And so he is fully experiencing this temptation. Uh, it is a real temptation. And so he takes the, the human uh, limit to the nth degree regarding temptation. Now, if uh, I tell my wife, you know, don't buy cookies. If you buy cookies, I'll eat them. And so <laughs> I don't care where you hide them. I'll find them. <laughs> just, just don't bring them home from the store uh, because I won't last more than a few seconds. Uh, you know, we all go on diets, and you know, how long does that last uh, before someone puts a chocolate in front of us and we start eating, right? But Jesus takes a human suffering and human temptation to the nth degree in this first round against Satan, round one. And so uh, Satan tempts him just like he tempted Adam. Uh, he says, uh, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. So there's the food that he's tempting him with. Just like in the Garden of Eden, uh, they were tempted with the fruit. And Jesus answers back, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay, so this is uh, Jesus responding to the temptation. Now, here we see three temptations. Uh, but in reality, it's exactly the same situation as Adam, except Adam's temptation was three in one. And so if I were to separate Adam's temptation, it would look just like this. And so uh, the devil, again, uh, he tempts um, 
He tempts uh, Jesus with another one, and he says, uh, you know, throw yourself uh, from uh, the pinnacle of the temple. And Jesus says, uh, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Now, remember in the beginning, in the temptation, uh, Satan quotes scripture just as he does here. And he quotes what God said. He says, uh, you, you surely will not die if you eat from this tree. Why don't you test God? And surely you will not die. And so a uh, man and woman put God to the test in the Garden of Eden. Uh, if God says don't do something, you don't want to test him because there are uh, consequences. God says stay away from that tree in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. And I mentioned last week, he uses the verb twice. You will die, die. You will really die. And so, um, Jesus is tempted again with the exact same type of uh, temptation. And then we see uh, Jesus is tempted for the third time. And he showed, uh, Satan showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he says, uh, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Now we're back to the kingdom theme here. When Adam and Eve were tempted, Satan says, you will be like God. And what uh, the tree uh, was offering them was independence from God. Uh, they will be like God. They will know good and evil. And so Jesus uh, says to Satan, um, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil uh, left him. And so in the beginning, in the temptation, uh, they were already like God. And uh, they had the image of God and the image of God was flowing through them. And so they were already king and queen on earth. They were the vice regents of this whole earth. But Satan wrestled that away from them. And so here comes Jesus, uh, round one, and he defeats Satan at this point. There is one man on this earth that Satan has no power over, and that's uh, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Now he had laid aside his divine prerogatives. The temptations were real temptations. And so... Um, every time Jesus does do a, a miracle, it is through God the Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit. We see that in uh, the seventh sign in the book of John, where Jesus prays out loud, and he says, I'm praying out loud so everyone can hear me, and everyone knows that you always hear me. And so uh, he prays, and that's his modus operandi. Then God the Father, through the Holy Spirit, does a miracle through him. He's just like a prophet, like Elijah or Moses. Elijah and Moses don't do their own miracles. It is through the power of God. And so Jesus is doing exactly uh, like the Old Testament prophets. And so the temptation was real. Round one, Jesus wins. Round one. He wrestles back the kingdom at this point, away from Satan. The problem is he doesn't have a people to rule over. And so what Jesus is going to do now uh, he binds Satan at this point 
And what Jesus is about to do uh, is to uh, preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's offering them the kingdom as the Davidic uh, son uh, of David. And so uh, from then on in the Gospels, what he's going to do is um, win back the kingdom uh, one man at a time. And so in the Beatitudes, he teaches about the servants of the kingdom. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so we see what a citizen uh, of the kingdom is like. Now, now Jesus uh, was meek, but meekness is not weakness. And so we see Jesus, he humbles himself, uh, he becomes a man. He takes on human flesh, but he humbles himself even further in that he becomes a bondservant, a slave. And then he humbles himself even further than that by dying for us. And he humbles himself even further when he dies as a criminal on a cross. And so Jesus uh, humbles himself, but this is the God of the universe. Uh, Meekness is really controlled power. And so he could have uh, saved himself at any moment. Uh, He could have called the angels down, uh, but he didn't. He controlled uh, his power. So uh, meekness is controlled power. Uh, If we are meek as kingdom men, it's not because we are weak. It's because we understand uh, the power uh, behind us. And so we can humble ourselves knowing God will lift us up. And God will begin to use us as we humble ourselves. Uh, And that's when um, the image of God is restored in us. In fact, we need to humble ourselves in repentance if you are not a Christian uh, and recognize that Jesus is Lord and he will uh, lift you up. And so, uh, again, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus says, uh, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven hallowed be your name. Now remember, there's the universal kingdom that God has always uh, been king of and Lord. And then there's the mediated kingdom that he gave to man that that Satan wrestled away. And so he prays. Pray like this. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's the two kingdoms. And so, uh, one day, these two kingdoms would be uh, won back. Now, um, this, is, this should be our prayer today. Uh, you know, how many of you are praying, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done uh, in my life, uh, on this earth, as it is in heaven? Okay, that should be our prayer. We should become kingdom men, kingdom men in every area of our lives. And so this is Jesus' focus, to restore the kingdom on earth. And so um, we see also uh, the universal and the mediated kingdom when he says, you shall not make uh, false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. So I say to you, do not make an oath at all by heaven, which is the throne of God. Uh, There's the universal kingdom. And by earth. 
for it is the footstool of his feet. And there's the uh, earthly kingdom. And so we see the universal and the earthly kingdom uh, someday will come together again as God always intended it to be. And so we were to reign and rule through the image of God on earth. But the image of God was marred at the fall. And so uh, the gospel story is the restoration of our relationship with God. So someday we will see him face to face just as in the beginning. And we will have the image of God in us and working through us. Uh, in Matthew 6.33, he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Again, uh, Jesus trains his disciples, and he says, uh, First go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is uh, the promise that Abraham was given, and uh, Jacob, uh, Isaac and Jacob, uh, that... Uh, this new uh, heaven on earth, this new kingdom on earth, would start with one family and uh, one nation, and then they would become a kingdom of priests and spread this good news to the whole world. And so they first go to the, the uh, tribe of Israel and pronounce the kingdom of God is at hand. The problem is uh, they don't accept the message. So the king has come, He's offering the kingdom to Israel as the Davidic uh, ruler, but they reject him. And so um, he says in Matthew 11, Until now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. And what we're going to see in the book of Matthew, which is about uh, the king, the kingdom, that uh, they reject him at this point, uh, the religious leaders. Uh, they accuse G Jesus of being demon-possessed, and he cast out demons by the power of uh, Beelzebul. And Jesus responds, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand if Kate, uh, Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And we read in the Gospel of Luke that um, Jesus saw Satan fall like a thunderbolt from heaven. And he argues that unless uh, he has bound the strong man, he could not uh, cast out demons. And so Satan in round one was bound and Jesus had wrestled back the kingdom, but now he needs to win back uh, each person one at a time. And so at this point, the religious uh, leaders reject him and they accuse him of uh, blasphemy. And really what they are doing is blasphemy of the Spirit by not recognizing who Jesus is. And they're crediting to God what Satan is doing or to Satan what God is doing, and that is blasphemy of the Spirit. And so, um, he says, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so God is uh, restoring the kingdom. <clears throat> uh, and here as well, he says, if anyone can enter the strong man's house and carry off his property, um, 
He cannot unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. And so he's talking about uh, binding the strong man. And I believe that occurred in, uh, chap- in uh, the round one with Satan. Now, um, here's what Jesus does. He starts going from village to village and synagogue to synagogue and he starts casting out demons. And so he's cleaning out uh, his kingdom. And what's interesting is he finds a lot of the demons in the synagogues. And so even the, the, the leadership is affected. And so he's taking back the kingdom one, one person at a time. Now we get to uh, chapter 13 in Matthew, and what happens in chapter 13 is that uh, he reveals a mystery of the kingdom. This is something that hasn't been revealed before. And so he says to them um, in parables, uh, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, uh, but to them it has not. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. And so he explains to the disciples by themselves uh, what the kingdom mystery is. And he's about to tell us exactly what that is. So the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. And while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. And so he presents the kingdom of God as this mystery which will be uh, the church. And so what he does is he postpones the kingdom from chapter 12 in Matthew, and in chapter 13, he reveals the mystery uh, that the tares and the weeds, the wheat will grow together until the coming judgment day. And then God will resume the kingdom plan again in the, in the tribulation period. And this is um, the book of Revelations. We'll get, we'll get the book of Revelation. We'll get there in a second. And so this is the mystery form of the kingdom. And then he talks about the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, uh, which a man took and sowed in his field. And then it grows and it grows and it grows. And so God is growing the kingdom, and we as part of the universal kingdom are growing uh, in this mystery form of the kingdom. But the promised Davidic kingdom is still coming. And so the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. And uh, once finding the pearl a great value, uh, he sold everything. And so this is, this is the kingdom of God. When we find the kingdom of God, uh, our whole priorities change, our perspectives change, and we realize what a great value this kingdom is. And so as kingdom men, uh, we cherish uh, the kingdom of God. And then the kingdom of, of heaven is like a dragnet. And so here is the... Uh, Day of Judgment. The Day of Judgment is coming. And God will separate uh, the fish, the good from the bad, and the wicked uh, from the righteous. And then there will be uh, this uh, lake of fire that is coming. In Matthew chapter 16, uh, he says to Peter and the apostles, uh, I will give you the keys of heaven. And whatever you bound, bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And so uh, we see, the, again, the kingdom uh, 
effect here on earth. And this is more of the universal kingdom here, where the believers are added uh, one by one. And then in Matthew 17, we see a glimpse of the kingdom where uh, Moses and Elijah, Elijah show up and we see the, the Lord Jesus Christ transfigured in his glory. And so that's a glimpse of the kingdom that is about to come. Now, uh, Peter says, you know, let's build booths. Uh, let's build a tent, one for uh, everyone here. And what he's thinking is Zechariah 14, where um, Feast of Booth is connected with the coming of the Messiah. Uh, Feast of Booth is always uh, connected in the Old Testament with some type of uh, repentance and rededication and coming of the Messiah. And so when Messiah comes, what will happen is Feast of Booths. It doesn't matter if it's the time. It will be Feast of Booths. And so that's why when Jesus marches into the city, uh, they throw palm branches in front of him. It's, it's saying Feast of Booths is coming. Okay? And so um, this is, I think, what Peter is doing here. So uh, in order to become a, a citizen of the kingdom, we must humble ourselves and become like little children. Now, um, if um, you are not a Christian, uh, this is the first step. Okay? This is the first step. Before the image of God can be restored in us, we must humble ourselves and recognize we are sinners and accept our king uh, back into our lives. And so we must become like little children. So the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner uh, who went early in the morning uh, to hire his laborers in his vineyard. Uh, we see basically the first shall be last. This is this humbling attitude. And it doesn't matter when you come into the kingdom. Uh, you can come early, you can come uh, in midlife, or you can come at the end of your life. Uh, God is offering you back uh, entrance into the kingdom as one of his uh, children. In John 3, it says, um, when Jesus is speaking to uh, Nicodemus, uh, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he talks about the, uh, uh, the water uh, birth and the uh, spiritual birth. And so, uh, in this passage, I believe he's talking about the actual physical birth in the water, uh, the breaking of the water, and then uh, this born again is a spiritual birth. And so what we see here, again, is uh, in order to become a citizen of the kingdom, you must recognize the king. You must uh, be born again. Now, uh, in Romans 1.22, um, we see that man, uh, professing to be wise, became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. And so we see uh, this marred image of God in man. And so we're going to see uh, Jesus restoring this. Now, uh, this verse, uh, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Is, this, is, this verse is so important, and it's so misunderstood, and 
I've seen very few people who can interpret this verse correctly. Um, it's not saying that before the law, we didn't know about sin, or sin wasn't imputed to us, because if we go to the context before and after, it says we were sinners and sin was imputed to us. But what this is saying, for until the law, uh, sin was in the world, but we did not have any means by which to impute our unrighteousness back. And so, when the law came, it gave us a physical uh, means by which to give back our sin. And so, remember what I said, it only takes one man to fulfill Mosaic Covenant. And so, Jesus comes, he fulfills Mosaic Law, uh, the sacrifices and statutes and ordinances were a shadow of what was to come. That's the book of Hebrews. And so Jesus shows up. He fulfills the law perfectly. He's born of a virgin. He's, he has no sin. And so he fulfills the law. He goes to the cross. He dies for us. And now he can impute as the final Adam his sin, uh, his righteousness to us, our sin to him. That's what this verse is talking about. Until the law, sin was in the world. But we had no way to impute our unrighteousness back to Adam. But Christ came. He provided a means by which to do that. And so he imputes, our, he imputes his righteousness to us and takes our unrighteousness on the cross. That's imputation. And so now the image of God in man is restored. Our relationship with God is restored. Uh, in order for you to have a relationship with God, you must recognize your sin. Uh, you must confess your sin and confess uh, Jesus Christ as Lord. And then he imputes his righteousness to you. For by grace you are saved through faith, right? And so it takes this uh, faith in a Savior and his work on the cross. And so Paul speaks about this in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But we all, with unveiled face, are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So we are being transformed back into the image of God. Uh, we are being prepared to reign and rule over every area of our lives. And for the next few weeks, you're going to talk about those areas of your life. But you cannot do it unless you are abiding in Christ. Uh, so you are, you are, he is the vine uh, from which we are to uh, abide. So, um, Romans 8.29, For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that we would be the firstborn among the brethren. This is the image of God restored after the imputation. So, imputation is we are declared righteous in heaven. Um, Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It was imputed to him as righteousness. And so, uh, when we believe, we are declared righteous in heaven. We are imputed with his righteousness. Legally in heaven, we are righteous. Now we still, on this earth, sin. 
Uh, that's the practical aspect of our Christian life. But we are declared in heaven righteous. And so Christ died for our sins, uh, past, present, and future. He died for all of them. He paid the price. And then he imputes his righteousness uh, forever. And so um, Colossians, Colossians 3.10, Do not lie to one another. Uh, having put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So we are being restored once again to the image of God. And of course, uh, Galatians uh, 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit, and these are the attributes, uh, the moral communicable attributes that God uh, gave to us uh, through the image of God, and that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. This is the image of God restored in man. This is what we are to become as kingdom men, right? And so we get to the book of Revelation. Um, now I did my dissertation on the book of Revelation, uh, the bridal motif in the book of Revelation. And what we have in the book of Revelation is... Um, the bridegroom, and he's talking to the bride, the church, the, the seven churches, and he says to each of the churches, uh, I am going to restore back to you what you had in the beginning, uh, and uh, you will reign and rule with me in the new heavens and new earth. And um, he is like a bridegroom, we are the bride, and so he says in each of the letters, I'm coming, I'm coming. He says, wait for me. Uh, don't court other uh, suitors. Uh, I'm coming, and I'm bringing my, my gift, my wedding gift. And um, just hang on a little longer. And that's the, the perspective we are to have as Christians. Uh, he's coming for us. We are the bride of Christ. Now, uh, we will be given a white gown. Uh, that is our wedding dress. And, uh, man, you will look good in your wedding dress. <laughs> Remember, um, he says in uh, 321, He overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I have overcome and sat down on my Father's throne. Here is, the, the, again, the kingdom of God. We are to reign and rule with Christ on this earth. We're going back to the beginning. And we have been made a kingdom of priests. Uh, we are a kingdom and priest to our God. We are royal blood. We are brothers uh, and sisters in Christ, right? Um, we are one family. We come from one couple. And so uh, we were to reign and rule uh, over this, this earth as priests. And so we are a kingdom of priests. And so the line of Judah shows up. Uh, the, the root of David, he has triumphed. Now, the book of Revelation... Uh, basically unfolds uh, like this. Uh, chapters 1 through 3, the letters to the seven churches, and 4 and 5 were in the throne room itself, and then in chapters 6 to 19, um, uh, 6 to 18, we basically see um, the tribulation period. Israel comes back into the picture. The kingdom uh, agenda is about to begin again. And so, during the tribulation, uh, the Antichrist shows up in the middle of the period. It's not 
anti-Christ, like against Christ. It's anti-Christ instead of Christ. He's the false Christ. And so uh, the world falls for this false Messiah, this false king. But in the middle of the tribulation period, uh, two generals show up, two witnesses, one like Moses, one like Elijah, and 144,000 witnesses or evangelists show up. And the whole nation of Israel, who is against God, turns and recognizes their king and their Messiah, the one whom they pierced, and they grieve over him and repent and believe in him. And so God, instead of uh, pouring his wrath upon Israel, turns and protects them. And now his wrath pours out upon all the nations. And so we see in the first set of the sealed judgments, um, we see that uh, God unleashes his fury upon the earth. And at the end of those six seals, during the seventh seal, there's an earthquake. Uh, there's thunder. There's lightning. And there's a huge earthquake. And God comes back into human history as the Davidic king, and the war is over. Well, we could stop in uh, chapter 8 of Revelation because God has already come back. But the film rewinds, and so you get... Uh, chapters are the seals one through six, and then it re, re, rewound, rewinds to the seven trumpets. And so the seven trumpets come, and one quarter of the world is destroyed. And then there's a great earthquake. There's a there's there's thunder and lightning and hailstone and a great earthquake. And then the kingdom of God has come, and the king arrives, and it's all over again. And then you rewind a little bit more and we get the seven bowls. And the same thing happens again. God unleashes his anger upon mankind, not against Israel, against mankind. He protects Israel and all believers. And then there's a great storm and lightning and thunder and hail and an earthquake. Now, there's not three earthquakes, and there's not three comings. The, the, the film is rewinding, and that earthquake is one earthquake described three times. The kingdom of God has come on earth. And we get to uh, chapter 19, and he says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. We are the bride. We are the bride of Christ. Israel was the wayward bride, and the church is the bride, and the two come together at this marriage supper of the Lamb. Remember he says in the, the, the Last Supper, I will not partake of this meal again until I come in my kingdom. And so here we have the celebration of the Lord's Supper, which is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so uh, God comes as king, as the Davidic king, and restores the kingdom of David on earth for a thousand years. And so here we have the millennial reign of Christ, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so he reigns and rules for a thousand years. Now, round two was at the cross. Uh, Jesus uh, defeated Satan at the cross, round two. Uh, but Satan uh, bit him on the hill, and Jesus died for our sins, and the imputation process happened there. 
Round three happens here. And so this is uh, the battle of Armageddon, and Jesus shows up in the battle, and he wins, right? And then uh, after the thousand years, um, <clears throat> uh, Satan is released, and we have the battle of Gog Magog. And so once again, uh, there's a perfect reign on earth, a perfect ruler, perfect government, if you can believe it. <laughs> and at the end of the thousand years, Satan is released, and we actually have round four. And God uh, defeats Satan and throws him into the lake of fire. And then we have the new heaven and the new earth. And then we see the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven as a bride. And so we have returned to our relationship uh, with God. We're back to the beginning, and uh, we have a restored reign and rule, and there's no longer any curse, and we will see his face, and we will reign forever and forever. Now, um, that's the kingdom of God uh, in a little over 30 minutes. Uh, that's the kingdom of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, uh, you have some uh, questions in front of you, but think about what is something in your life that is separating from you from God that may appear to be good, but has evil consequences? And what is preventing you from becoming a kingdom man experiencing the image of God in your life? And I have some questions on there on the back or on the bottom uh, with, that you can ask, uh, ask at your table. And if you have any questions, you can ask me as well. So I'll let you go ahead. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the Garden Room of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. Have a great day.